This episode is brought to you by ArcLab. ArcLab empowers your organization to improve your workforce performance through just-in-time, easily author and distribute training and digital SOP modules to your deskless workforce. Anytime, anywhere, in any languages. Listeners to my pod get 10% off learning design services. Simply go to artlab.io slash adriantan to claim this special offer today. Hi, I'm Adrian Tan, and this is my podcast where I deep dive into matters surrounding HR tech and the future of work. I was a former HR serial entrepreneur and write extensively about the future of work on my blog. You may know me better through the Singapore HR tech market map that I created in 2017. In this podcast, I speak with the people who are enabling the future of work. From mindfulness coach to employee engagement platform, they are all helping companies to better navigate rising work and business demands. I'm hoping that sharing in this podcast will help you better prepare yourself and your business for what the future of work may bring. Today, I'm speaking with Professor Jonathan Passmore. He is the Senior Vice President of Coaching with Coach Hub, the leading global talent development platform that enables organizations to create a personalized, measurable, and scalable coaching program for the entire workforce. Professor Passmore is one of the top 10 professional coaches in the world. He also serves as Professor of Coaching and Behavioral Change at the University of Reading's Henley Business School. In addition to leading Henley's Center for Coaching, Jonathan is also a chartered psychologist and author who has published hundreds of scientific papers on coaching. Hi, Jonathan. Welcome to the podcast. You have been in psychology for the longest time, and I understand that you are one of the top 10 professional coach in the space as well. Could just start with your motivation into this space and how it has evolved since. So coaching to me is fascinating as a tool that individuals can use to achieve their goals. And really coaching as an organizational intervention really dates back to the late 1990s. And at that time, I was working as a consultant at PricewaterhouseCoopers. And the work that we were doing in organizations, helping organizations to leverage large-scale change. And as a psychologist, I was often working with leaders and senior members of the organization, helping them think about how they role modeled the behavioral changes they wanted other leaders in the organization to make, and also to drive forward that change. And coaching seemed to be a very useful methodology, drawing on the writing of people like Laurel Whitworth, John Whitmore. And so we started really using coaching as a methodology in these large-scale change projects. And the more that I used it, the more I became intrigued about its power. People seem to both enjoy the process, having that opportunity to take time to reflect, to think about their priorities and their goals. But it also seemed to be from the feedback that they gave. Anecdotally, it was a really powerful tool. And so over the last 20 years, I've really dedicated much of my life to exploring that both at a practice level, working with leaders in organizations, but also from a research level. What's the research evidence telling us about how we can improve this process for change? Uh, and I've contributed and written very widely around that with books uh, and undertaken research studies to help both further my practice in this area, but also further the wider profession of coaching. So individuals and organizations can better understand this method and make best use of it in their organization. I think I've written more books than I've read so far this year. So that's really amazing on the kind of deep dive that you've gone into this particular space. And 
there's so many questions I want to ask, but maybe I'd like to start by better understanding how people actually get into the mode where they feel that they want to look into coaching. I'm really asking this from my experience in Singapore, uh, in part of Asia, where coaching is still something relatively new. And to some extent, by acknowledging that you need a coach, that seems to imply certain bit of weakness. I'm very certain maybe a decade ago, this might be something, or even two decades ago, this might be something they're experiencing at the part of the world that you're in. But how does people actually go through it? And how do they get convinced that coaching is actually something they should move into? I think people come to coaching through a variety of different routes. But what I often say when people raise that question of skepticism, coaching for me, should I really go for coaching? Is that seen as a weakness? I would see it as the absolute opposite. It's a strength, it's a personal investment in yourself or investment in your senior team or investment in managers across the organization. And the reason I say that is because if you look at any elite athlete, any elite performer, you will find that they will have a coach. So if we just take one specific example, Hussein Bolt. Hussein Bolt, probably when he was at school, was a fast runner. And he could thought, you know what, I'm a pretty fast runner. I'll do this by myself. But actually, he will have looked around and seen the people who were getting into the national team, the people who were participating in Olympics, the people who were winning the gold medals. Those people had coaches. They had psychologists or others who were working with them to not only help improve the behavioral performance. So how do I run down the track as fast as I can? How do I optimize my behavioral display, my performance, but also to work with them at a cognitive level? How do I manage myself, my emotions in that high pressured environment? And coaches in sport that has then through the 1980s transferred into business. So that's often many of these ideas are coming from that sporting background. And if people want to be the best that they can be, if they really want to progress their career, if they want their organization to improve its performance, it's just not surprising that they then turn to coaches to help them to do that. If he works with the elite athletes in sport, if he works with football teams, if it works with motor racing drivers, and what we've also found is the same effects with leaders and managers and people in organizations. Coaching gives the space for reflection, improves goal setting, and it improves goal attainment. So in other words, individual overall performance, and then you can look across the organization and organizations that are using coaching, not surprisingly, they see improvements in their overall performance. And so uh, I would say that it isn't a sign of weakness. It's a sign of recognizing a strength and being hungry to improve and be the best that you can be or the best that your organization can be. Would that mean from a business context, the coach has to be uh, a better achiever than I am so that they can, he or she can coach me to, to meet his or her level? Or is that something entirely irrelevant? Well, I, I think it has some relevance. So it's important that the coach has an appreciation of the workplace and the issues and challenges that are going on in the current environment. But it doesn't mean to say that the coach knows the answers because of course, each of us works in a particular team, a sector, role, and a cultural context. And what the coach is doing is the coach is the expert in the process. And their role is to 
listen, to make space for that reflection that I was talking about earlier, but also to ask provocative questions, to encourage the person to think critically about themselves, but also think critically about their part in the wider system. So the coach is the expert on the process with an appreciation of that wider environment that's happening within business. But the real expert in the room, the person who knows what's best for them, best for their team, best for the system in which they're working, has got to be the individual coachee. So the coach is working with them, encouraging that reflection, encouraging that, what are your values? What are your strengths? What are some of the challenges that you're facing in your particular team or organization at this moment? And through that reflective process, through that goal setting process, new insights about the individual and about their context emerge, and also plans for action emerge. And those combination of these two are the factors that drive that improvement of performance that I was referring to in the earlier. Could you walk us through how a typical coaching session would be like? I would imagine it seems like a very op open and fluid conversation, or would there actually be certain structure based on what you're trying to achieve? And of course, thereafter, how do you ensure that you are actually getting the returns that you have invested your time and effort in? So in some respects, I'd say there is no typical process. The process is very much led by the leader or manager, the coachee, the person who uh, is bringing their inquiry, their question, their uh, issue to focus on. But the coach is using a series of recognized evidence-based approaches. Uh, and they're also being guided by wider professional best practice uh, and ethics. So for example, at the start, there's typically a contracting part of a conversation where the coach and coachee will explore what does the person want to be focusing on, how long they're going to be working together. They'll talk about confidentiality and the limits of that confidentiality, and then they'll plan the conversation that they're about to have. And the second part will be then moving on for a discussion about what would be a good outcome to that particular 30-minute, 40-minute conversation. So there'll be some clarity about the specific outcome for the conversation. And they'll move into discussing the issue. And what we would typically see if we were observing like a fly on the wall as an outsider, that conversation, we'll see the coach asking open questions. These are questions which are typically starting with what, where, when, how, encourages the coachee to reflect deeply about themselves and the challenge that they're facing. The coach will also be using lots of listening. And we often think that we're great listeners, but the reality is most organizations, most managers don't make enough time for listening. So the coach provides that space to listen, not only to what the person is saying, but trying to listen beyond what they're saying, maybe listening to what they're not saying. And through that, to then frame further questions that allow them to get beneath the surface of the issue, get beneath the story to then understand the individual who's sitting in front of them and the system in which they're working. They'll also be using summaries, reflections, affirmations, and these are types of interventions that help people to explore the issue in more depth, to feel heard, and to build individual self-esteem. So when we reflect back something positive that we might have heard, it enables our coachee to grow in confidence. So that series of interventions then over the course of 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes will help the person to develop that new insight about the issue. 
and maybe to develop a plan of action that I was referring to. And then the final phase of the conversation would typically be where the individual will then confirm a set of actions that they're going to take, maybe summarize the insights that they've got. And the coach will help them to think about a couple of other steps as well. One of those in terms of good coaching is to think about who's going to hold that person to account. Because what we know is we often make commitments in the meeting or in a moment, but we get outside and we're overtaken by events. So to have an ally who's going to hold us to account can be really helpful. And the second thing the coach would do in this closing part of the conversation is think about the role uh, of a supporter who will support, champion, and encourage that individual to make progress. I don't know about you, Adrian, but when I make commitments to change, I might have a real in that moment desire to go and do that, but I might be overtaken by events and I think, oh, I didn't manage to achieve that. Let's just say going running, I commit myself to go three times a week. The first week I go, fantastic, I've achieved that. The second week, it's raining or it's not such good weather or I'm busy and I don't go, I only go once. And then the third week, I don't go at all. Oh, I stopped doing that. I know I'll give up. We need somebody who just gently says, oh, well done. You achieved it two weeks ago. Come on, start again. Who will just encourage and support us. So that supporter role is also important for the coachee to plan, put that in place. And with those elements, then to step out of the coaching. And of course, coming back in a week or two or three for the next coaching conversation, either connected to that issue or another issue. And what we see is that people usually bring over the course of several weeks, over several months, a series of connected issues, maybe about how they develop their leadership competence, maybe about how they work in their system to influence or persuade others, maybe about how they manage their emotions. And they'll focus on a number of sub-themes in each conversation. And together, that enables them over the course of several months to make significant progress in the conversation that leads to insight and plans of action and progress outside that also enables them to use that accountability partner and that support partner to hold them to account and encourage them when times get tough. And I must say also in terms of our work at Coach Hub on digital coaching, the other element that we put in place as being able to optimize digital platforms is linking people to go a little bit deeper, go a little bit deeper by engaging in learning nuggets. So we might share with them an HBR article. We might share with them some material that we have about strategic thinking, content that we've created ourselves, little short videos or readings that help that person just in a five minute piece to explore the issue and think about a little bit before they come back to the next coaching session. So optimizing the use of that digital platform to deepen that insight and provide further motivation for action. I guess that is why a lot of New Year resolution fail after five days, because you did not do it with a coach in front of you and no one is holding you accountable to your goal. In a sporting situation or setting, the coach is literally next to the player for the entire extent of his or her career. In the business setting, is that going to be the case as well? Whether you move from company A to B, you will always have that coach or is there actually an end point? And you said, okay, I think I've hit my goal and then that's it. We can see from our look at football coaches, football managers, that they change very frequently. Uh, but what's typical for elite performers is they do have a coach who works with them throughout their elite career. And they recognize psychologically and also at a behavioral 
level, that helps them to optimize their performance. But the individual might change. And it's exactly the same if you are seeking to be an elite performer. I would encourage someone who's seeking to be the chief executive of a global company. It's very likely that they are going to have a coach who's working with them, who's available for them when they need to have those conversations. But it may not be the same coach over the 10 or 15 years that they are holding very senior positions. And they might have a period where they're working with a coach and then they might step away for a period of time, have some time by themselves and then step back into a new coaching relationship. But I think the idea of having a coach who consistently works with us, either the same one or different ones, you know, does lead to high levels of performance. And if you're really seeking to propel your career and achieve the best that you can achieve, then of course, we just need to look at the elite performance in any other industry. And we can see that they have coaches who work with them over a consistent period of time. Although maybe different coaches, as I've said, and I, I certainly from my own career, I have had coaches who have worked with me, not the same one. Typically I work for about a year or 18 months with a coach. I then have a period of time of reflection and do some work by myself and then have another period of time working with a different coach who will brings a different perspective, a different way of working, a different challenge into my work to again, help me to move forward. Based on your data, as well as your observation, how widely is coaching currently being adopted among organizations? At certainly at the very senior levels in those organizations, most senior leaders in most of those organizations will have an executive coach who's either working with them now or, or someone that they have worked with in the past. And coaching has over the last 20 years spread very widely, starting really UK and the United States and Australia, but has spread across Europe, is spreading across Asia and Pacific and also Africa and South America. So the take up continues to be wide. And if we look at data from the use of coaching as a tool for training and development, for example, we've got somewhere in the region of 50% of organizations in German speaking Europe and Italy and the Nordics who are you coaching as a tool for enhancing the output of training and learning. If we look to China, if we look to Japan and we look to Hong Kong as examples, actually the figures that we're seeing there suggest that the level of engagement is just as high. It has come a little bit later to the party. But in places like Hong Kong, 65% of organizations are now using coaching as a tool for training and development. In Singapore specifically, the data tells us that's 55%. So significant amount of engagement within organizations for coaching because they're beginning to recognize its power. For many companies that have not considered coaching to begin with, they probably naturally have an expectation for their people manager to be the coaches for the team members. What's your response to a company that still feel that the managers can be the coach or double up as the coaches for the team member. Yes. I think managers can use a coaching style in organizations and I would encourage that. So just having a directive style, if we only have one way of leading a team, if we've only got a hammer in our toolkit, everything looks like a nail. But we know that everybody in our teams, they're different. They need different approaches at different times. And Having coaching as a default leadership style is great, but leaders and managers also need to set a vision for the future. They need to be able to build relationships across their team using an affiliative style. They need to set goals and objectives and 
they need to hold people to account when there's poor performance or when they're seeking to really push forward a particular initiative, when they need to command or tell people what to do. So coaching can be used as a leadership style, but what we're talking about here, the coach as an external individual brings an independent perspective. They don't have a vested interest. Their sole focus is helping the individual who's in the room with them, who's aligned with them to think about how can they get better at their particular job. So they're focusing only on the needs of that individual. And because they're unbiased, what tends to happen, because they're confidential, what tends to happen, because they're bringing a sense of, I'm just focusing on, what tends to happen is the person is more revealing, discussing at a deeper and more intimate depth, the challenges that they're facing. And that's not surprisingly, if you go deeper and we explore the whole person in the conversation, you get better outcomes. If we only talk on the surface, then we get surface level outcomes. Uh, and I think that's probably one of the differences between the work of somebody who's inside the organization as a manager, who might be using questions to encourage reflection as part of a leadership style and that external coach who's confidential, independent, and solely focused on the development needs of the person who's sitting in front of them uh, or on the screen in front of them, that can lead to significant improvements in overall performance because they're able to go deeper. And with the prevalence of uh, video conferencing platforms, of course, a lot of things can be done virtually and coaching being one of them. In the part of a world that I'm at right now in Asia, where there are multiple cultures and some of them are quite conservative, behave in a very unique manner. Do you think there would be any preference to look at bringing in coaches that, that actually understand the nuances of these individual countries, would that actually matter in the coaching process and as part of the conversation? I, I think cultural context and being able to identify with the coachee are really important parts of the conversation. And yes, having someone who is understanding of that context, as I was referring, that may be the context of an individual industry. It may be the context the nuances of a language or a particular geographical culture that happens, that those are important factors. And it allows that improvement of a bond between the two. And the deeper that bond, the more trust, the deeper the understanding between them, the better the work that then takes place. So having a, a US coach doing coaching for somebody who might be in Hong Kong, they might both be able to speak English. But there isn't that in-depth of understanding the identity if we've got somebody who is uh, from the region who understands that particular industry. Not that they're going to give advice, not that they're going to say, best thing you should do in this situation is this. Instead, they're using that understanding of the cultural context, understanding of the industry to ask better questions to then develop a deeper understanding for the coach. And for someone who is really interested to learn more about coaching, what's the first step they should take as an individual or even for their own company? I, I think I would always say to people, go and experience coaching for yourself as a starting point. Go and have some coaching, see how the process works, see how you have been able to use it for your own personal development. And what I've found time and time again is people who engage fully in the coaching process, become evangelists. They become, they see the power of coaching and become people who are committed to then spreading the word 
And really that's how coaching has come to the fore over the last 20 years, because people can see its power for positive good for individuals and for organizations. And the second thing that I would say is many people who have then experienced coaching want themselves to become coaches because what a wonderful gift that we can give to other people, uh, a gift that helps them to be the best that they can possibly. Given that you have been involved in this space for so long, where do you see the future of coaching? Well, I think we're at a pivot point at the moment, to be truthful, Adrian. I think what's been happening in the past is the coaching has been uh, a cottage industry, to be fair. It's been relatively underdeveloped and under-resourced and has been dominated by sole practitioners and small organizations. And they've done a fabulous job that they have been uh, working to help take forward small step by small step the science of coaching and of gradually person by person, conversation by conversation, spread the word. And what we're seeing now, and that's been amplified, I think, as a result of COVID and all of us moving online for many of the things that we're doing, the technology was there and coaching was there, but we're seeing that technology and the science of coaching now coming together uh, on platforms. And I think that we will likely see during the 2020s a growth of platform-based coaching so that it becomes pretty common in, in pretty much every organization across the world. If an organization wants to be ambitious, wants to grow, wants to look after its people, wants to look after wellness, then of course they're going to be adopting coaching as part of the wider solutions that they're putting in. And that coming together of science and technology at this particular moment, amplified by the changes as a result of the pandemic, will have a dramatic impact on the coaching industry as it professionalizes. And not surprisingly then, as we have that scale provision, we're also going to be then doing further research and science that enables us to really fine tune coaching as an intervention. And of course, the technological revolution that we're all engaged with at the moment isn't going to stop here. And the role of AI and VR will begin during the mid-20s onwards to start to have an impact on coaching. So thinking about those aspects. And so when we're looking back, if we had this conversation, maybe in a decade's time, we will have seen some of the impact that quantum computing, AI, virtual reality will have that will be complementing, in my view, the human coaching intervention, because humans like to prefer to have a conversation when we're talking at depth, when we're talking about emotion, when we're talking about personal issues to talk to a fellow human being. But technology will play a part in supporting those personal conversations and platforms such as Coach Hub will be at the very center of that revolution that's taking place. Do you foresee a future when your coach could actually be an AI? Of course. Whether you would want to choose to connect to that AI coach for a deep, meaningful and personal conversation uh, is another thing. But technology is moving us in that direction. We've got very simple AI apps that are available now that have a script and can ask you on your phone some very basic questions. And no doubt that technology over the next three to seven years will continue to grow. But very simple questions that we might want to ask, whether factual based answers or a script can help us, then that type of intervention that we might use on the bus or the train as we're going in will be helpful. And that's what I mean about being part of a solution. But I don't believe that as humans, we want to see that as our primary mode of communication. So we'll be there supporting, 
but I believe humans prefer talking to humans. And as a result, that human interface, the connecting of one human being to another will stay the central part of the work that we do in the foreseeable future. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Lovely speaking with you today. Thank you, Adrian. Thank you for listening to the podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to more information about our guests and their businesses. If you enjoyed this podcast, it would be helpful to give a review on iTunes or follow me on Spotify. If you're using Overcast, please hit the star button under the episode. That will help get this episode and podcast out to more people who may find it useful. I'll see you in the next episode of The Agent Han Show.